moving toward deeper authenticity is challenging. It's painful. It is rigorous. It will shock you. But on the other side, what we seek is this far beyond our comfort zone. So we all know within our hearts and, and within our bodies, we know if I just got to the other side. So we want to go from pain island across the bridge to pleasure island. That's the paradigm shift right. of move from your default paradigm now to one where you're aligned with your values, beliefs, behaviors, energies, motivations, thoughts, and how you show up in the world. And having gone through it now for 40 years and still doing it, it's it's an incredible journey and it's it's worth all of it. So I think today's leaders this is this is the thing we're going to move from. We're going to go from task driven monitoring, micromanaging to much more of a sharing of values and beliefs, hopes, aspirations and honest conversation. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others Leadership Podcast with Nina Sunday for experienced and aspiring people managers. This show will help you explore ways to become a more intentional leader. Each episode, host Nina Sunday speaks with some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share a passion to elevate and transform team culture. Workplace culture hides in plain sight. Is yours flourishing? Join the movement to make your workplace a better place to work. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. Welcome to the next conversation in our six-episode bonus series with thought leader and visionary Dan Silberberg. Part one is the leader operating system. Part two is the eight paradoxes. Part three is the leader hero's journey. As a former managing director of Oracle and other well-known brands and qualified with a master's in leadership and coaching, Dan leads a leader council for the C-suite more info in the show notes. Welcome, Dan Silverberg, to part four of our bonus series. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about the Phoenix Rising and and your your connection and resonance with that with that metaphor. Yeah, so I I think if again if we go back to and play off of what we've currently done with the hero's journey there is always a death to a rebirth. And, you know, we've we've seen this in the Harry Potter movies. We've seen this in the Tolkien trilogy. We've seen this in um, the Star Wars movies. And so what happens is that there's a person, I'll use Gandalf, for example. So Gandalf, there's this beautiful scene in the trilogy. It's called Thou Shall Not Pass. And you can see it on YouTube, Thou Shall Not Pass. And Gandalf is on the bridge, and all of a sudden, from behind him, the Balrog appears. So he tells the group, you guys go ahead, you'll make it, I'll stay and fight the Balrog. So he stays and he fights the Balrog, and they go through this huge fight, and the Balrog starts to go into the abyss. And at the very last second, he whips the ankle of Gandalf and pulls him down with him. 
and they have this extraordinary fight in the abyss at the top of the mountain. And Gandalf finally wakes up after all of the fight and he emerges. He went in as what? Gandalf the Grey. And how did he come out? Gandalf the White. It was his being reborn and the the whip that grabbed his Achilles heel was his hubris that needed to be devolved. And so it's the phoenix rising, death to rebirth. And we're actually from a global perspective. I think we all can feel that we're coming to the end of an era that our institutions no longer seem to be able to work. Our own institutions aren't thriving. Lots of debt around the world, divisions in societies. So for a leader in a business, not only does do they have to look at what's happening in our personal lives, they have a much bigger world to take a look at. So the thesis here is that an end of an era and the dawn rising is the moving from the pre-industrial revolution to the world of neural network, to the world of AI, to the world of quantum computing. We're moving from linear thinking to quantum of possibility now. We're seeing a raising of consciousness. We're starting to see spirituality being discussed in a business world, that's something really new, right? We can see that millennials and Gen Zers, there are a lot of companies that are going, I don't know how to manage these people. They have a different set of values, motivations, beliefs, behaviors, and, and a meaning to life that's different than let's say those of us in our 50s, 60s, and 70s. So what does this look like? I believe that we, in the 50s and 60s, there was a fair amount of peace. There was a fair amount of growth and stability. Life was improving. Uh, you know, there was the emergence of the middle class here in the United States. And so a lot of things went in a really positive direction. But what are we looking at in terms of our world today? We're looking at geopolitical disruption and dislocation. We're looking at climate change. We're looking at instability. We're looking at resources that are quietly running out, whether uh, less bees to, to be in the world, the Amazon being deforested, water becoming harder to come by, the oceans rising. So we've got a lot of different things that are that are going on. The biggest thing for leaders in business around this geopolitical dislocation, uncertainty, ambiguity, black swan events that we can't predict, much harder to see around the corner. How comfortable are we moving from certainty to uncertainty? How comfortable are we not knowing? So what do we know? What don't we know? What don't we know that we don't know? Yeah. And how much are we now willing to live in the void and not have all the answers? Well, if we're going to stay in a hierarchy, which is a pretty much a 
a pyramided structure. It narrows as people go up to the C-suite. It is hierarchical. It's usually top-down. In many cases, command and control. In certain organizations, fear-based without psychological safety. It's not agile. It's not quick. It's not innovative. And we certainly know that 70% or 63 to 70% of people are not engaged. We're dealing with quiet quitting. So what has meaning, what has purpose is changing. And so if we're going to lead in the old way of hierarchy, then I'm going to say those institutions with that organizational design are going to be thriving less. You've sure sure nailed it there, Dan. <laughs> That's quite an impressive list. <laughs> right? Should I be scared <laughs> or excited? No, no, actually, so that's just what we're faced with. Yeah. So now, if we were to start to think differently, so we have a reality of what an issue is, right? So now, how do we want to come and address it? So what we know is that we're in a world now of neural networks. We're in a world of ecosystems. We're in a world of partnerships where we don't have to do everything ourselves. We can partner with others and one plus one can be 11. What What now matters is technology is out distancing the human being's ability to adapt. They're, even the people that created AI are, are a little bit scared of it at the moment. They're going, well, if it gets out of control, we don't have any tools to bring it back. So <laughs> that well, will change, think, hopefully. <laughs> well, we're we're in the unknown. So if we want to start to look at new ways of, of operating, our brain works as a neural network, right? We have neuroplasticity in our brain can we have neuroplasticity in our organization? Oh, I think yes. we can. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So things like agility, neural nets, right? Speed to market. Um, quantum thinking. Small group bottom up versus top down. Leader coaching, incenting, motivating very different than command and control. So it's not going to be without its challenges. It's going to require a shift in culture. It's going to require a shift in how we lead. It's going to require new processes, right? So if we have people and we have work that isn't meaningful and we have people quiet quitting, what can we do to automate that work to free people to do more meaningful work that actually will add more value. Yeah? Yeah. I I think this is really important. People have to find meaning in work. They have to feel a sense of progress and not just be paid to do the job they're paid to do, but to bring their, you know, full full self to to express for creative expression. So... Right. So now if we start to look at how would we put an organization together to be an inspiring aspiration, 
of growth, of personal development, of purpose, of meaning. All of these things will lead to new architectures. And one of the things that I'm, I'm saying about being a world-class leader, have you yourself architected the life that you love, that inspires you, that you're so motivated to get out of bed in the morning that you can't believe it's even work as opposed to, oh my God, it's Monday and I have to go back to work? Well, yeah? let me tell you, when I got out of bed this morning, I went, oh, good. I get a conversation with Dan. I love what I do. <laughs> so now we want to start to thank you. So now we want to start to look at collaborative self-managed groups who are the closest to the resistance, the problems, and the opportunities. Still a leadership team that frames out the vision of where we want to go. So we, we're not eliminating that, but we are changing how we monitor that. So right now, if you're monitoring every keystroke, if you're monitoring every minute that your people spend, are they at the computer? Where are they? Whatever. That's probably not going to be the best business model for the world that um, we're now going to be entering. So one of the things, at least in the U.S., that if you talk to any CEO in the public environment, it has been historically all about profit, all about shareholder return, and everything is managed to Wall Street the quarter, and did we hit our number? Look, there was a little bit of a triple bottom line trend some time back, you know, where you had to be, you know, looking at uh you know benefits uh non-tangible benefits as well as financial results but i'm not sure how how much that took off perhaps it was only a trend in australia australian business i'm not sure it's not ringing well, we a bell all, with you we do all kinds of social things there's esg now and there's dei now That's and right. you know we have a whole panoply of three letter <laughs> kinds of things that we're supposed to be doing that's right but i i think that if we focused on profit and that was how we came to work, and that's pretty uninspiring other than the CEO who really is compensated based on return on investment, return on equity, stock price gain, all of that, fair enough, you know? But now what instead if we were actually visioning on having impact of all stakeholders? We'd have a very different way of inclusion and bringing people to the table in a meaningful way with commitment and dedication and engagement. So that would be one thing to take a look at. Absolutely. So how did we create value? We basically created value in an environment of competition. So Coke versus Pepsi. Yes. Right? So in any industry, you can look at, there's basically two or three very high level brands and they're all in competition and it's about market share. And so everything revolves in the operation and design around this competitive environment. But now what if we were to architect and reimagine that there's a market of abundance out there and we start to look at co-creation. So I don't have to do everything as a company myself. I now can co-create with others 
And, you know, Buckminster Fuller is a hero of mine. And one of the things he said is, don't try to do something better than what's already there. Do something that makes it obsolete. And also look for what isn't being done. Right. That that's so Buckminster Fuller has inspired me for decades. And that was the one I picked up on. Look for what people aren't doing. And, you know, again, in this in this world, if we really follow our heart and follow what's meaningful. We will find all different kinds of things. I mean, Apple's the classic example everybody points to, but he never worried about the competition. He was all about creation, right? Absolutely, because a... they they were the first with the graphic user interface, and then Microsoft copied. But I tell you what, that was quite the innovation in its day. Okay, so then how do we organize? That's sort of the third area. Well, we've kind of organized again as a structured hierarchy, command and control, board of directors. Well, now what happens if we have a catalytic environment of collaboration, innovation, and co-creation? These are these sound easy. They're not, but they are hugely competitive advantages. And I like that word co-creation because it implies oh. it's not top-down, it's it's coming from the, the participants, the stakeholders. Yeah. Very All good. All right. The fourth area is how do we get work done? In a hierarchy, it's command and control. There's We want to get to a certain level of certainty, and we have processes in place that are, in many cases, restrictive more than opportunity for openness. So now, if we move from that environment to one of evolution, and evolution means there's new beginnings, that there's the emergence So if I now move from command and control to coaching, if I now move from command and control to getting rid of resistance, whatever is in the way, right? Now I have a mindset of inquiry, curiosity, discovery, that's gonna lead to clarity. So I'm gonna move from certainty to clarity. And when there's clarity and then there's buy-in, the speed, and the and the quantum exponential growth far outweighs. So again, moving from linear to quantum. In a quantum field, there's all possibility. So as a business, what if I sat down and said, you know what, we'd like to do a new pick something. Let's figure it out with all possibility. Let's not let money get in the way. Let's not let talent get in the way. We don't have the people. We don't have the money. We don't have the, we don't have the fill in the blank. Take that off the table, right? So it's kind of the blue ocean idea. Yeah. And then it's much easier to be so far out and to bring back. It's much harder to be limited and then decide to go wide. Yeah. Yeah. So again, a new a new way of thinking. And then lastly, I think is how we show up. And how we show up is usually an expectation. Um, we talk about courage in business, but the opposite of courage isn't cowardice, it's conformity. 
And so in our business, how much are we forcing people to conform to find our business acceptable versus what it could become? And tying in with the last episode, which was on the the leader hero's journey, the, the starting point is status quo, comfort zone, and then getting the call to adventure. And after that is the refusal of the call, because initially we get the call to innovation, we get the call to evolution, and then it's like, oh, you know, part of you, you're at war with yourself, part of you wants to stay in the comfort zone. So it, this what you're talking now ties right back to what we explored in detail last episode, Dan. Perfect. So what's this new dawn rising? Well, the new dawn rising is going to be about these evolutionary shifts of how we actually show up. So one of the things that we know, at least I know from my work, if I'm talking to C-suite people, the more successful people become and move up the ladder, insecurity can take hold. And, and what we need to do is make a fundamental evolutionary shift yes. to show up authentically. So look in the mirror and see how authentic do you think you are? Part of that is where are you inauthentic? You can't tell me about your authenticity until you tell me about where you're inauthentic. And for most people, I shouldn't give it away, but I will. The largest bad faith of inauthenticity is not owning up to the fact that you are the architect, owner, and totally responsible for the life you have. No because blame. Many people will go, why me? If only. Oh, yes, the if only. Well, um, uh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if you want to know the life you intended, look at the life you have. And if you want a different life, then you have to make different choices. Exactly. Right. And so now this new dawn and new era, what we're seeing is a reimagining. We're seeing a reimagining of everything. Well, we need to see a reimagining of ourselves by undertaking the inner work to shift our mindsets and our consciousness to see the world differently. If we can only see the world the way we see it, then we're going to be stuck. And, and when I needed to make a shift or when I was in any sort of uh, inner turmoil, I've always uh, sought a coach, even if it's just for a series of sessions and then and then stop. So it's about you can't always nail what the issue is, but a good coach can actually give you that perspective. And it's in private. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it, you get to reveal the authentic uh, turbulence that you have that you perhaps don't want to show the rest of the world. Well, and one of the things that that I love about Carl Jung um, is he says that if you don't bring the unconscious to consciousness, then you have a life where you think what happened was fate. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that just happened because that's just the way life was meant for me. Oh, and again, that's we, bad. We are we are more pro capable of more pro, being the proactive architect of our life. And if we don't like what we've got, do something different. 
Well, it's hard to change your paradigm. So we all have a default paradigm. The paradigm, yeah. It's the filters. It's the unconscious belief system, the cultural norms, and the cues and codes that we were given as children without an analytic filter and without any ability to say, not for me. And self-limiting beliefs that come out of that. Exactly. So, Nina, mom says, you'll never amount to anything. The only women who make it in the world are pretty women that are five foot ten and older, that are skinny and blah, 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 blah. And so you're not that, so you're not going to be much of much. Now, Nina, go in the world and become really successful. Yeah. Money's bad. (laughs) Right. Money's bad. Money's dirty. People with money aren't ethical. Money isn't. God gave us whatever amount of money we were supposed to have. Now go out in the world and build a really successful business and be abundant. Yeah. It's very hard to do. So we do things that um, sabotage us. Not through intention, through it being unconscious. And so part of this leader work now is to bring forward these different downloads, what I call downloads. That's why it's the leader operating system. Yeah. And in a computer, when you put in a virus, you get out a virus. Yes, true. So within us, the question becomes, as a leader, can I be straight up with a strong, straight spine? Or am I leaning forward or am I leaning backward? I'm leaning forward when I'm micromanaging, when I don't trust my team, when my anger is irresponsible, when I blame, when I obfuscate. And I'm leaning back when I'm not on my own side. I don't say what's on my mind. I'm not in sovereignty. I'm a people pleaser. I don't take on the hard conversations. You don't, you don't have to be an entry-level person to have those frailties. CEOs have them. CMOs have them. We all have them. It's the human condition. But the new dawn rising gives us an opportunity to make choices and say, you know what? That was a great download. Not anymore. So in childhood... We are extremely talented at strategies for survival. We all do it. So when you hear children know how to manipulate mom and dad, that's the game. Yes, it's all about survival. But a lot of those strategies to stay out of the way, to not get hurt, right? In childhood, that are genius become very maladaptive in adulthood. I'm a CEO. I'm very good at what I do in terms of my functional expertise, I don't really like confrontation. And I, I, I shy away from having hard conversations. Oh, well, yeah. how does and that... that's, that's just the worst thing that any, any leader can do is shying away from difficult conversations. And if it's, if it's because you don't know what to say, learn, learn what to say. No, it's not that you shy away because you don't know what to say. You shy away because your default paradigm was that confrontation wasn't allowed in the house or there was so much confrontation, I became the peacekeeper. 
And so I don't want things out of balance. As a child, great idea. In a business, when that's how I show up as a leader, my team and my 360 feedback goes, he's extremely good at what he does. However, because he's unwilling to have it or she's unwilling to have these hard conversations, we have more politics than needed. We're creating a toxic culture. Bad behavior goes, you know, unaccounted for. And all of these things have an effect on the business. So again, if we're going to emerge, we need to, like the caterpillar, shed the skin to become the butterfly. And that's what this work is really about. Right. So moving toward deeper authenticity is challenging. It's painful. It is rigorous. It will shock you. But on the other side, what we seek is this far beyond our comfort zone. So we all know within our hearts and, and within our bodies, we know if I just got to the other side. So we want to go from pain island across the bridge to pleasure island. That's the <laughs> paradigm shift right. of moving from your default paradigm now to one where you're aligned with your values, beliefs, behaviors, energies, motivations, thoughts, and how you show up in the world. And having gone through it now for 40 years and still doing it, it's it's an incredible journey and it's it's worth all of it. So I think today's leaders, this is this is the thing we're going to move from. We're going to go from task-driven monitoring, micromanaging to much more of a sharing of values and beliefs, hopes, aspirations, and honest conversation. Look, one of the things that might uh inhibit a leader taking being brave enough to do that is I've heard this um, opinion, give them an inch, they'll take a mile. <laughs> so you have to, you know, you can't be that generous. So you probably have to educate your people to take advantage of this evolution that to bring them on board consciously with um the new path that they that you're trying to carve would that be right well you have to do your work first because what you model what you communicate what you incent what you communicate again what you communicate again how you show up your words have to be congruent oh right. so if you're going to talk to them about this new world and you're going to show up as as the old guy <laughs> or the old lady that's not going to work so before you can change, so you cannot be more of something to others than you are to yourself. I can't have more empathy for you than I have for me because I don't know how to do that. It's not like I've got this empathy uh, container and it's only for people over here and I never get to use it. No, if I've got the critic, if I've got a big ego problem, if I'm in judgment of everybody and everything, the worst person, when you hear people say, no one can criticize me more than I criticize myself, that's what they're telling you. 
I'm really good at that. I'm actually a PhD in understanding how to have that critic and judge and conditional person. And that's why I do it with everybody that I meet. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. mm. Yeah. So, and then we, you know, we hear things like, you know, empathy. So here's an empathy story that's not empathy. Right. So Nate, you call me up and you say, hey, you know, I've been working at this big multinational company I've put in 20 years and I got fired. And I'm I'm devastated. I don't really know what to do. I'm not sure I'm going to survive. And you go through all the drama and you call six of your friends. And what do they all say to you? They all say the same thing. First of all, they're scared to death that you're going to deliver that result to them. So the first thing they say is, Nina, you're brilliant. You don't need to worry about it. The company's the one who's lost. I know you're going to land on your feet and they'll do everything to assuage you because they're really assuaging themselves. That's not empathy. Mm. Empathy would, in my world, would be you know what, that, that must have hurt a lot. And I'm wondering, how do you feel having that happen to you? Have you had a chance to even, you know, feel through it? And I'd like to know, I'm not going to tell you you're going to be brilliant and you're on your own. And, and before I'm done, and I'm going to say, Nina, you know, before we hang up, I need to know, I need to share with you one thing that I found valuable for me. Who were you in the transaction? You didn't get fired all by yourself. What was it? How were you behaving? How did you show up? What was the relationship to peer, to reporting up, to reporting down? Because that will be a great indicator of what not to do in the next job. And to do it in a way that isn't blaming them, but just encourages them to look inward and to self-reflect. Yeah. Well, and without, oh, it's, it's a fine balance between judgment because the person listening might go, oh, well, what do you, what do you know about me <laughs> that I don't know? No, it's what do you know about yourself? You know what? I know that I was 20 minutes late three days out of the week. I know that, you know, 30% of the time I wasn't really on time with the project. Um I can. I had this thing with my boss. I know we didn't get along, and I was challenging. I had the need to be right. I had the need to control. I had the need to, and and so it's an unconditional examination to go. Oh, these are parts of me that others may not find as attractive, and now I can do something about it. If not, I'm going to go to the next job and the next job and the next job. I may not get fired but I'm probably not going to have the best outcome because I'm doing patterns that don't really serve. They don't serve me and they don't serve the other people. And I must admit, I didn't even come to an awareness of, of the concept of behavioral patterns till I was about 30. And that was the start of my personal uh, development because once I understood that there were patterns that I could choose to change, my life changed and I became less uh, oblivious to my impact in the world because a lot of people think, well, that's just me. It's just you, the unexamined self. 
<laughs> so examine yourself and and find ways to change it and experiment, trial and error. And if you get a better result, keep it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think, you know, one of my goals in my council is to unleash the genius in you. There's this inner side of genius in all of us, and it's tapped down early, right? And it's tapped down hard in conformity, again, family, school, culture, institutions. So so if we're going to release this inner genius, we're going to need to work on expanding our self-awareness and our consciousness. It's very hard to do that on your own. So if you don't believe me, see if you can look at yourself without a mirror. See if your (laughs) eyes can look at you without a mirror. Yeah. Right. So our identities actually are formed a combination of who we think we are and how others reflect back to us. So when we're little babies, we're cooing and smiling. Is mom reflecting that back to us or is the stove on fire? The postman's at the door. Dad's on the phone and I'm not even noticed that's a world that I'm now thinking about how the world exists, right? So it's probably not a safe world. It's probably not an abundant world. It's probably not a world that I think, you know, I'm doing pretty well on my own. So this self-awareness and bringing to consciousness matters a lot. The other thing is self-regulation. This is a real part of the emotional intelligence Right. Absolutely. Self-management, self-leadership, self-regulation. And then the third thing really is practicing well-being. So we're all Mm. so busy and we're all so connected to phones and computers and iPads and TikTok and Facebook. And but we have physical, mental, spiritual, emotional and energetic to look at how we show up Mm. and we need to take time to regulate that and have a sense of well-being. And what makes all this shift hard is that our amygdala is wired to survival. And it was a great idea when tigers were out there and you could get eaten in a heartbeat, the amygdala was a really good thing to have. But today we don't really have those kinds of threats, but the amygdala is 20,000 times more powerful than the neocortex. So this frontal cortex, which is your executive function, decision-making, analytic mind, your fear-based amygdala will take over every time. So as, as we start to look at that, that those habits, again, this is the neuroplasticity of rewiring our brain so that we can, you know, compete and thrive and feel secure, even though the world around us is in disruption and pretty kinetic. And one of the things I like to say about well-being is that if you're not choosing some intentional uh, actions around well-being or mindfulness, then you're actually practicing mindlessness. (laughs) And that's what can lead to burnout. (laughs) You've got to be mindful to avoid burnout these days. I think so, right? And not be at the, the question is, are you living in reactivity 
or are you living a life of intention? Yes. World-class leaders need to live through intention, not through reactivity. Yeah. And what percentage of your day is spent doing strategizing, planning, uh, big picture stuff versus reaction, putting out fires? And so, you know, I'll kind of leave it with this, that, that for me, my goal in working with people is to unleash their human potential. It's going to be hard work and it's going to take someone who can risk and someone who's forward looking and someone who has just a determination that they're going to create something in this new world a world environment of belonging, connection, psychological safety, meaning and purpose for themselves, for their companies, their families, their communities, and ultimately the world. We're in this chrysalis state right now, right? Where the caterpillar is going to need to die and shed the skin to become the butterfly. And the acorn needs to get planted to become the oak tree. And the human being is going to need to shed its skin, its way of thinking, its behavior, its hierarchical environment, and a new one's going to emerge. And so I think for younger people, they're going to go through some trauma and some difficulty. But I think on the other side, there's going to be some amazing stuff going on. Thank you so much, Dan Silberberg. It's a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I encourage anybody to think about joining Dan's Leader Council to uh, connect with him on LinkedIn and request a conversation. Absolutely. Be happy to uh, spend time and uh, see if it's the right fit. Bye for now. Nina, thanks so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. This episode, we've been speaking with Dan Silberberg on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform culture. To book Nina Sunday CSP to speak at your conference, visit ninasunday.com to request a proposal. Nina travels from Brisbane, Australia for in-person presentations Australia-wide. Twice certified virtual presenter, Nina Sunday presents virtually, globally, for any time zone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.